All right. You go ahead and grab a seat. Uh, again, for those of you who are faithful, we know that you are here tonight and there's a place reserved for you in heaven because of you choosing to be here instead of your television. I want to over-spiritualize it. I'm just saying. Uh, and I do want to let you know, we, we promised a lot of folks that we wouldn't uh, tell the score. I just need to let you know the game is over. And the Bears played the Packers today. And I know that you know that, and that's all that I can say to you. That's all I can say. So if you know it, don't tell it, because other people want to know it. So we're just going to move on from that and trust that God holds our future in his hands. I'm just going to leave it at that. Okay, so uh, uh, listen, uh, we are in now our fourth week of a, uh, a look at how we're going to live this year differently. A lot of us around this time of year, around January, make resolutions, how we want our life to be, how we want this year to be. It's right about now, about three weeks into January, that most of us have already forgotten or broken every one of those. And what we're setting out to do as a church and as people who say, look, we actually want our lives to matter. We want this year to matter. And so we want to put things right. We want to actually live the way we were meant to live. And we want to live from who God actually created us to be. And then what we do from there comes out of that place. And so we have been on a resolution revolution, and we've committed ourselves to understanding how it is that God has wired us. And one of the things we've done is uh, we have been texting uh, a bunch of you uh, all throughout the week. Um, every morning you get a text from us. How many of you have done the Resolution Revolution Challenge? You got that? Great. So if you haven't, you don't know what we're talking about, you can pull out your phone right now. It's really simple. Seriously, you can like, pull out your phone. Don't check the score. Just pull out your phone right now, and you can text 313131. Seriously, go ahead and do this. 313131, and the word Soul City, all one word. 313131, the word Soul City. And you'll be able to join up with us for the next two weeks, the rest of this challenge that we are on, to really take seriously what it means to love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. And it's been really cool to see the response that folks have given us from that challenge. And we have set at the beginning of this year and at the center of what we're doing uh, here as a church for these, the month of January, one verse and it's uh, a verse uh, that we have been committing to memory. And we've said that like, if we're going to get one thing about understanding who God is, and if there's going to be one thing that sort of directs what our life is supposed to be about, you can bank on this truth. And so we're going to put it up on the screen, uh, and I want to have you, I, I, you're supposed to have it memorized. So if you want to close your eyes and get bonus points, you can do that. But we're going to read through this verse, and I'm going to ask you actually to read it out loud. So can we put that up there on the screens? Uh, and I want you to, nope, that's not it. Uh, that's for later. We'll save that for later. This would be, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Do we have that one back there? Awesome. So now you have to do it from memory. You have to do it from memory. All right, so this is the verse we've committed to memory. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. And if you know it, join in because you get bonus points. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Very good. I'm impressed. Do we, and with no support on the screen, you guys nailed that. That's awesome. Phenomenal. We've committed to loving God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. And tonight, we are going to explore what it means to love God with your mind. What does it mean to love God with the mind that he has given you? How do you love God with your thoughts, with your Mind. And so here's what I'm going to do. We talked just a second ago. I'm going to have you talk to someone else again. Again, this is a moment I know for some of you, this is where you get to meet some other folks. It's awesome. Introverts are freaking out right now at this moment. They've already had to talk to people twice. It's more than they've allotted for the day. 
Uh, extroverts live for these moments. Okay, so here's what I'm asking you to do. I want you to think about your mind right now, and I want you to turn to the person next to you, and you get to explain your mind in one word. I want you to describe the state of your mind right now in just one word. So you have to actually use your brain to come up with that one word. How would you describe the state of your mind right now in one word? One word. That's a challenge. You got it? Okay, so everyone, find someone. Like, turn to someone. Scoot next to someone if you have to. One word to describe your mind right now. All right. How many of you said something like scattered? Okay. <laughs> That's me. Yeah, I guess it's just a, Okay, it's a, uh, Full? Did anyone say their mind was full right now? Full lot going on in your mind? Uh, how many of you just said bears? Anyone say bears? That's on your mind? Okay, bears, that's all that's on your mind right now. Uh, we all walk into this room with a thousand things on our mind, filling our mind, filling our thoughts. And it's very important that we pay attention to what that is because those have very real implications on the way we live. Now, what we're talking about tonight is not the brain. Now, there's been a lot of work and study on the brain. The brain is the most fascinating, complex little piece of machinery, technology that we have in the world. There is so much going on in your brain right now that is just beyond, like we could spend the rest of the night describing how intricate and how amazing your brain is, all of the functions that it performs. There's a lot that has been studied about the brain and the way it works, how it reacts and responds to and informs the body. All of that's very well and good. Uh, in fact, there's an amazing book that I read recently um, by Daniel Pink. If you know his work, A Whole New Mind, is he's done a couple books on what motivates us and what drives the mind. He wrote a book a few years back called A Whole New Mind, where he explores the differences in the right hemisphere and the left hemisphere and how people interact and react with each other based on that. Fascinating stuff. But you ask Daniel Pink, if you ask any of the leading psychologists, psychiatrists, neurologists, they would tell you that the brain and the mind are two very different things. And that while we have a lot to understand and there's much that's been studied about the brain, there is infinitely more that we do not know about the mind. We actually understand a lot about how the brain works, but we know very little about why the mind does what it does. There's a big difference between your brain and your mind. Your mind is like the soul of your brain. Uh, Whoa. There's a lot there. There's a lot there. Okay, so the brain performs functions, but it's the mind that perceives, that interprets, that puts into action. The, the brain is all about what? The mind is all about why. And it's, it's deep and complex, and it's actually a gift that God has given you. He has given you an amazing mind. He has given you, despite your test scores in high school, an amazing mind. Every one of you. It is a gift. And the purpose of your mind ultimately is to know and love God. There's a whole lot else that happens in your mind. Ultimately, God has given you a mind so that you can know him, perceive him, and actually have relationship with him, begin to understand more and more about who he is, and ultimately love him with your mind, with your life. It is a gift. Your mind is a gift from God. But the crazy thing is, as important as it is, and what a gift it is from God, what an amazing gift it is from God, so often, so many of us barely open it up. We have this amazing gift that God's given us in our mind, and so often, so many of us barely open that gift up. In fact, if we were to be very honest here tonight, and it's a sad truth, it is usually 
Christians who tend to open their mind the least. Not always true, but the perception is if you were to walk around the neighborhood and talk to people about their perception of Christians, one of the first things they would tell you is that they are close-minded. God has given you your mind as a gift, and so often we barely unwrap it and begin to explore it, understand it, and actually put it to work at knowing and loving God. The crazy thing is, is that Christians who actually have this amazing source of knowledge and wisdom and truth so rarely unwrap and open the Bible, which is filled with wisdom and knowledge about God, which can actually change and transform your mind. So often it's barely even opened or pulled off the shelf. In fact, there are some Christians, and I'm not saying it's you, who have more than one Bible. They have several Bibles And yet it does not change their mind. God has given you your mind as a gift. He has given you your mind as a gift to know and love him. What are you doing with it? What are you actually doing with it? And this is really, really, really important stuff because the reality is this, and you know this, that the things that you do, the way that you act, the reactions that you have to things are not random. They actually come from somewhere. There is always a why behind the what that you do. There's always a why behind the what that you do. And here's the crazy thing. Your actions that you do on a daily basis, the decisions you make, the priorities that you make in your life, your actions are actually preceded by convictions. Okay, that's, we would agree with that. That there's a, there is a reason behind what we do. It is not just random. I don't just pop into things, do things without a why behind it. There's always a why behind the what. Your actions are preceded by convictions. And do you want to take a guess at where your convictions are formed? In your mind. This is one of the amazing things that God has given you a mind to do, is to form convictions, beliefs. So in our mind, we form convictions, what we believe, what we perceive and believe to be true, and from those convictions come our actions. In other words, there's a simple way to say it, You live what you believe. True? Like it or not, right or wrong, informed or uninformed, you live what you actually believe. Your convictions are preceded by your, or your actions are preceded by your convictions, and your convictions are formed inside your mind. There is a reason why you think at 1130 at night a giant piece of chocolate cake will solve the day's problems. Knowing that it won't, you still believe somewhere in your mind, this is going to, this will do it, this will help. This is going to help. Because there is somewhere in there a conviction that's been formed in your mind that that form of escape is going to help you get through. It was formed in your mind. There is a reason why at times you find yourself so stressed out about money. And you have such fear and anxiety and you get all worked up or you work way too long around money. Because there is a conviction. There is a why behind that what. And it is formed inside your mind. There's a reason why you are so dead set on the desperate pursuit of finding someone to be in a relationship with, to be married to. I talked to a guy last night who told me, I mean, we just bumped into each other and over a few minutes told me the last 10 years of his life. He said to me, he goes, you know what? When I was 30, I was so desperate to be married. It was all I could think about. And ended up marrying a girl that within 10 months he divorced. He goes, I was obsessed with it, and I absolutely made the wrong decision because somewhere in his mind, he had a conviction that was formed that led to the action of having to find someone. There is a why behind that what. There's a why behind 
the reason that you hate conflict. You hate conflict. You hate getting into it. Or some of you love conflict and you find ways to start it. There is a why behind that what? It is a conviction that leads to the action. Right? We would all agree with this. This is the reason, this is the very, that reality is the very formate, like that is the foundation of why advertising works in the world today. Okay, there's a reason why advertisements actually work, because they know that if they can get you to form a conviction in your mind, that will lead to the action of you buying their product. It is the very foundation of the entire advertising industry right there. They know that conviction leads to action. And ultimately, they are in a game for your brain, your mind, that ultimately the end game is your wallet. And the New York Times did a study on the effects of advertising on the human mind, on the psyche, a few years back. And they found some fascinating stuff. They found how many times we face ads in a day. And so I want you just to take a guess right now. How many ads, and they did it specifically of city-dwelling people. So for those of us who live in Chicago, do you want to take a guess at how many ads you come across in a day? Someone just shout a number out. 300, 2200, good, it's like Price is Right, keep it coming, higher, lower, higher, we're going to Plinko if we get this right, okay, 300, 2200, okay, I'll tell you because th- that wasn't right, 5,000 ads a day, that's the New York Times, who actually has a lot of ads in it, 5,000 ads a day, every one of them is trying to convince your mind to form a conviction that you are not complete enough without this deodorant. That if you, if you want success in life, it is time to find new auto insurance. They are convinced. They have based their entire industry on convincing your mind to form a conviction about you and their product that ultimately leads to action. And you have 5,000 of those a day facing your mind. So there is a battle going on for your mind. The question is, are you fighting it? Because it is being fought for you. It is constantly being fought for you about what fills your mind, how you actually use and engage your mind. Because if your actions are always preceded by your convictions and your convictions are always formed in your mind, then it is important for you to understand what's going on inside there. And in fact, actually begin to take responsibility with filling your mind with the right things, saying no to unhealthy things, so that your actions, your convictions, actually lead you to knowing and loving God more. What is going on inside your mind? And I'm embarrassed to admit what fills my mind. What stupid and trivial things, what really honestly unhealthy, even destructive things, fill my mind on a daily basis. I'm embarrassed to say that I have been around church for a long time and have had access to a Bible since as long as I can remember. And yet I say to myself all the time, it's just really hard for me to memorize Scripture. It's really hard for me to like, actually like, read God's Word, to read the Bible and to commit it to memory. That's hard. It takes a lot of work. I'm just not wired that way. And yet at the drop of a dime, I could spit almost any old school hip-hop lyric around. It's embarrassing. <laughs> Honestly, 
like someone could stop me in the street and go, Rapper's Delight. And I go, all right, now what you hear is not a test because I'm rapping to the beat. Me, my crew, and my friends are going to try and move your feet. See, I am Wonder Mike, and I'd like to say hello to the black, to the brown, the white, and the yellow, the purple, and yellow. But first, I got to bang, bang, boogie to the boogie, to the up jump, the boogie to the bang, bang, boogie. Let's rock. You don't stop. Rock the boogie. makes your body rock. I could do that if I wanted to. And yet I'm like, oh, it's so hard to memorize Bible verses. It's so hard to fill my mind with things that honor God. And yet... The reason is because my mind is so filled with a thousand other things. It's embarrassing at times. It is embarrassing. I'm being honest with you. At what I allow to fill my mind. Now remember, there is about 5,000 things a day trying to occupy your mind, to form your convictions, to move to action. Where are you in that fight? Where is God in the middle of that fight for your mind? It's interesting to me that, and this is what's so great, is that For those who are actually serious about loving God with their mind, if you're actually serious about loving God with your mind, the cool thing is this. While there's always a battle going on for your mind, there is actually hope. There is hope. There is hope that God can change your mind. We change our mind about a thousand things a thousand times a day. We change our mind about all kinds of things. But when was the last time you actually allowed God to change your mind? And this is what's interesting. We believe at the center of what we do here at Soul City Church, we have put transformation at the very center of what we do. We are committed to helping people become who God has created them to be. We are all about transformation, that process of change. Here's the great thing. It happens in your mind as well. God can change and transform your mind. There is hope, but there's also work to be done. Because like anything in the process of transformation, like anything, there are things that only God can do, and there are things that only you can do. There are things that only God can do, and yet there are also things that only you can do. So what we're going to do for the next few minutes is look at a truth from God's Word. We're actually going to fill our mind with the right things, And see what God begins to change and unearth in us. See what God can do that only he can do. And actually, there's action that only you can do. So if you have a Bible, please open to Romans chapter 12, verse 2. This is one of the central verses to our church. Romans 12, 2. We believe this truth to be true. We believe this. Romans 12, 2 says this. And I'm actually going to have you read it out loud. It's on the screen. If you have a Bible, you can look down on it. But let's read this out loud together, okay? Do not conform okay guys that is like that is i that makes my teeth itch how sad that is like that's okay let's try that again with a little more awakeness all right let's try this again do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what god's his good boom Listen to that. Let's leave that up on the screen for a second. Listen to what's possible, what only God can do and what actually you are actually called to do. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. What does that mean? Well, we already talked about one of the patterns of this world, 5,000 messages a day trying to transform your mind towards their product. You do not have to conform yourself to that pattern. There are other patterns of this world that tell you that you are not complete enough, that you are not good enough, you are not pretty enough, you are not. And yet the truth of God is that you actually are created in his image. You 
are his child. You are loved. Whether you actually intellectually ascend to believe that yet or not, there are truths that are beyond the wisdom and the way of this world. And so what we have to do, what we have to do is to say, no, I'm not going to let my mind be conformed to those ways. But I am going to allow God to actually transform, to renew, to make new, to change my mind. Because when he does that, when I say no to those things and yes to the things of God, it actually begins to change. And then, here's the crazy thing, I'm able to understand more, to know more what God's will and way is for my life. Question, have any of you ever wondered what God's will is for your life? At any level, have you ever wondered, what am I supposed to do with my life? What's it all about, man? Like, what am I, I have the short time on earth, what is it about? Okay, if you have asked that question, you are not alone. You are not alone. One of the greatest ways to get to the answer of that question is found in Romans 12 too. It's to no longer conform yourself to the patterns and endless dead ends of this world, but to allow God to transform, to renew, to change your mind. And as you begin to invite God in, to allow God in, to expect God to change your mind, you will understand more and more and more exactly what God has for you for your life. Because it's true, we know actions are always preceded by convictions. And convictions are formed in our mind. And when God renews and changes your mind, it changes the way you live. It's fascinating to consider how much this stuff is connected. How much of it is connected. And if God is ever going to do that work of transformation in your life, you have to invite him in. You have to allow him in. You have to go to work as well. You have to take the wheel of your mind. You have got to take the wheel of your mind. Now, not too long ago, Gene and I, uh, just over the Christmas break, went on a road trip. And we drove all the way down to Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. And if you've never been to Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, it makes Branson look awesome. And Branson already is awesome. And so we went down there to meet some friends and spend a week at a cabin down there. It was a wonderful time. But what was fascinating is this. And and I do most of the driving in our family. And Jeannie does uh, most of everything else. And, uh, (laughs) And so... so we, I, was, I knew that I was kind of in for the bulk of the drive. I knew that that was coming. And I'm okay with that. It was like a 10-hour, 11-hour drive. I was okay with that. The most fascinating thing is, and maybe you've noticed this too, when you are in the car with someone else, you are very quick to assess what an awful driver the other person is, aren't you? It's real quick. Like you, you learn real quick, especially if it's someone you know, or, and almost always if it's someone you love, you are very quick to assess their inabilities at driving an automobile. And so what happens was, I, I did a lot of driving, and then Jeannie would drive, and she knew it within a couple minutes. She's like, what? I'm like, nothing. It's good. It's great. Let's go. Keep going. She's like, what? I'm like, no, it's just, I mean, there's a reason. There's a speed limit. You, don't, you can go over it like a few miles. It's going to be okay. Like, you know, you know, there's a cruise control. You can do this. You know, like, you know, and so there are things that Jeannie does when she drives. You know, the way that she, I mean, she has amazing posture when she drives. The seat is totally upright, and she is fully at an L. I mean, she is ready to go and drive. Right? And I notice these things when I'm driving with her. I'm like, oh, you 
really? Because I'm like, yeah, I'm leaning back. I want to be like, you know, I'm comfortable when I drive. And I notice when she drives, like, every time she goes to turn lanes, she leans forward to look in the mirror. She kind of does this thing where she leans forward. I'm like, yeah, they, those adjust now. Like, those adjust. Like, you can actually, you don't even have to reach outside. Like, those mirrors adjust. And the same is true for me, though. And Jeannie would tell you, the same is true for me. When I drive, there are things that she notices about how she doesn't um, approve or agree with how I drive. Namely, the fact that I only use brakes at the last possible second. So I keep the brake industry in business because I ride right up on the stuff, and I try, and the back wheels come up almost every time. I'm doing a lot of this with Jeannie, a lot to just stop her. You know, uh, the fact that, the fact that um, within six months, I uh, got four red light tickets in the city of Chicago. Thank you, God, for those cameras at the stoplights. There's no escaping that, right? So she knows very quickly that there's times when I'm driving that she doesn't necessarily approve of how I drive. And we all do that, right? We all sort of, when we, if someone else, or if someone else has ever driven your car, you felt that like you're somehow in the back seat and you're like, God, why are you do? what are you doing? That's just so weird. We're very quick to figure out like when we don't like the way that someone drives, especially when we're riding along in the car. The crazy thing is this, is that this is just true. Like for Gene and I, when we were driving on this road trip, is whoever's behind the wheel, they get to determine the destination and the direction. Right, when you're in the passenger seat, you really don't have a lot of power. Now, you can yell and nag and do all those sorts of things. You can do that. But whoever's behind the wheel, they get to determine the destination, the direction where you're going. This is true. This is just, you can't get around that, right? The same is true of your mind. The absolute same is true of your mind. That whoever is behind the wheel of your mind determines the direction and the destination of your life, your actions, your choices, your convictions. Whoever or whatever you let behind the wheel always, always determines the direction and the destination of your life. And so the question for you and I is, who or what are we letting behind the wheel of our mind? Who is driving this thing? Who is driving this thing? When money is behind the wheel, when all you're worried about, thinking about, when your thoughts are preoccupied and consumed with money, guess where that's going to take you? It is going to take you wherever it wants. And sadly, lots of times, it's not to more money. It's to more stress, more anxiety. You, you begin to value the things you actually have less. You begin to believe that it's not enough Ultimately, you begin to believe that God is not going to provide for you as he said and promised that he would, and he already has. When money's behind the wheel, that it's going to take you exactly where it wants to go. When you, are, when you put behind the wheel of your mind the pursuit for a relationship, and you want so badly to be married, and you have a timeline in your head, and you've already passed that like three times, and so you're trying to say, like, if I, I just, I didn't. so when that pursuit is behind the wheel, guess where that's going to take you? It is probably going to take you into rushed, unhealthy relationships. It's probably going to take you into this greater sense, this unnecessary sense that you bring upon yourself, that you will always be alone, that there's no one out there for you, that you have to do whatever you have to do, and compromise is the next stop on that destination. When you put that pursuit of relationship behind the wheel of your mind, when you put comfort and security behind the wheel, guess where it's going to take you? It will inevitably, when comfort and security have the wheel of your mind, it will inevitably take you away from courage. 
take you away from risky, faith-filled things that God is inviting you into. Because you've given it the wheel, and it will take you to whatever destination and direction it desires. Who is behind the wheel of your mind? For some of us, if we were to be really honest, we'd say, I don't even know. Nothing. Or everything. And you wonder at times why your life just feels like it's in the circle. Like you're just driving around a cul-de-sac at five miles an hour. You wonder why your life seems to have no direction. Could it be, possibly could it be, that you don't even know who's behind the wheel of your mind? Because you know that your actions are always preceded by conviction. Conviction is always formed in your mind. And you don't even know who's behind the wheel of your mind. See, this is what's incredible. God has given us great hope. He's also given us a great responsibility. Wouldn't it make sense that if whoever's behind the wheel determines direction and destination, wouldn't it make sense, and follow me here, this is going to be pretty simple, that if you wanted to go in the direction of God, that if your hope was to live your life with and for God, wouldn't it make sense that you should maybe just possibly put things behind the wheel that are going to direct you there? Shocking concept, I know. But doesn't it make sense that if your hope and desire is to know God, to love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, to love others as you love yourself, that you actually in there desire that. You actually do. Despite all your failed attempts, despite how many times you've messed up, despite how far you've walked away from God, in your heart you long to actually have a life at peace with God. Wouldn't it make sense that we should put things behind the wheel of our mind that direct us there? This isn't that complicated. And yet, if I'm being honest about myself, I very rarely pay attention to who's got the wheel. And I allow all kinds of other things to take the wheel and to direct my life in almost every other direction than God. There is hope that your mind can be changed by God. But there's a responsibility by you to put things behind the wheel that are going to direct you and steer you towards God, in the direction of God. I love the way that uh, book of Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 says this. It says it beautifully and it says it simply and you really can't miss the point. If you want to put things behind the wheel that direct you to God, this is what you can do. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is what? True, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, what should you do? Think about these things. That's not complicated, is it? The Bible is very deep. It's very rich. And yet sometimes it's incredibly simple. Look, if there are good things and pure things and wonderful things and things that actually have to do with God that are going to direct your life, take the wheel and direct your actions from your convictions towards God, you should probably think about those things. If you want your life to head in the direction of God, to be with God in this life, wouldn't it make sense that you would fill your life, you would fill your mind, you'd put behind the wheel things of God. That's not that complicated, and yet so many of us, myself included, we don't even lots of times know who's behind the wheel. And so the challenge for us this week 
And this year is to invite God in, to allow God in, to expect God to change our mind and to take the responsibility of taking some things out from behind the wheel and replacing them with things that are actually going to direct your life towards God. Here's a question for you to consider this week, and this might be worth writing down. As you sort of pay attention and catch up with what's going on in your mind throughout the day, here's a great question. As you're in the middle of a conversation, you're in the middle of watching something on TV, you're in the middle of looking at something on the internet, you're in the middle of listening to something on the radio, here's a great question just to stop and ask yourself, if I give this the wheel, where is it going to take me? You might want to write that down. If I give this thing, this thought, this conversation, this music, this thing that I'm looking at, if I give it the wheel right now, where is it going to take me? Is it going to take me in the direction of God or not? And if not, then I need to pull it from the wheel. I need to take the wheel back. Is this thing right now in this moment that I've given the wheel to, where is it going to take me? And if it's not in the direction of God, then I have a responsibility to take that out and to put something in behind the wheel that will. So here's a challenge for you this week. It's going to be different for every one of us. But for some of you, for some of you, you need to take the wheel back from your television. I'm sorry, we're going to get like crazy practical right now. Like there are just, it's not that it's bad, it's not that it's necessarily wrong, but where is that going to take you? Like, honestly, ask yourself, like, where's The Bachelor going to take me this week? <laughs> I think I know. That's, again, it's not, it's not bad. I'm just saying, is this going to take me in the direction of God right now? And if not, then I need to pull it from the wheel. You're in the middle of a conversation this week, and you're talking with someone at work, and whether it's, or it's a friend on the phone, and it easily could go a hundred different ways. Gossip. Uh, just, in a, like, just jokes or stuff that's just, man, it is, it is not healthy kind of stuff. It, it can go to all kinds of different, talking down about someone, whatever it is. There's a question asked. Okay, if I give this the wheel right now, where's this conversation? Where's it going to take me? Where's it going to take my mind? If I believe that my actions are preceded by convictions, those convictions are formed in my mind, who's got the wheel right now and where's this going to take me? For some of us, it's honestly, the internet it is like this cornucopia of ADD distraction all day long. And for some of you this week, the best thing you can do to take the wheel back of your mind is to literally log off from Facebook and do not check back in. And here's the crazy thing. You do that for a week, I guarantee you, the world is going to exist and move on without you. And and it'll probably all be there when you come back. But my hunch is, for some of us, you see things or you, you find like what other people are doing, you can get fascinated and obsessed with what other people are doing and end up actually doing nothing yourself other than watching them, right? It's not that those things are bad, like, right? Soul City's on Facebook, right? It's not like it's a bad thing. But when it takes the wheel, you have to ask the question, where's this going to take me? What direction? What destination is this heading in? Whatever it is. And there's stuff on the internet, guys, I, mostly guys, but it's not exclusively guys. Honestly, when you're looking at pornography on the internet, just at, where do you think that's going to take you? Where do you think that's going to take you? Where is that vehicle headed? When you give it the wheel of your mind, where do you think it's going to take your actions, your convictions, what you believe to be true about yourself and about the opposite sex and your sexuality and the gift that God's actually given you? 
It's a great question for us to ask. Where is this going to take me? And maybe this week we need to start taking things back. Take it out of the wheel. And here's the great thing. If you just take it all out of the wheel, then the car is going to go out of control. So how can you begin to fill it back up with things that are honorable, that are true, that are lovely? You're not going to be surprised by any of this. I have a thought. Maybe the Bible. Like maybe it's actually time to open it up and say, you know what? I'm going to commit to putting the Bible, God's word, God's wisdom, God's truth behind the wheel for a week and see what happens. And you can like start almost any, like Proverbs, great book to start in, a book of wisdom, great book to start in this week and read a chapter a day this week. You can read a chapter a day this week and just see if that doesn't change the destination direction of your thoughts and your actions. Just see. Or other great books. There's other great, great books that, are, uh, that challenge your thoughts and form your thoughts. C.S. Lewis, great place to start. Great place to start to go, okay, here's someone that engaged his mind with God. And there's, we can go a thousand others. Like Maybe it's time. You say, oh, I'm not really a reader. Well, you know, maybe it's time. Or they have books on like MP3 now. You can download and listen to it. That's another thing. Maybe for you, what you can do to actually put behind the wheel the right things is to download some sermons. It's a crazy thought. When you have time in the car, instead of just letting sports radio, again, not a bad thing, or talk radio, or whatever songs on the radio, not bad things, but maybe, just maybe, you can take the wheel there and say, you know, I want to listen to more of God's word, be, God's word being taught and applied in my life. In fact, a little honest plug here, all of our sermons are up on iTunes right now. You can go and download any of those, listen to those at any point. That is, a, that is a practice that I've put into my life, that I'm constantly listening to other sermons or podcasts or different things to help shape and change my mind, to steer me more in the direction of God. Another thought. Maybe for you this week, it's time to fill your mind with songs that actually talk about God. Worship music, songs that actually talk about the truth of God. And you just listen to them. Let those begin to fill your mind and just see if it doesn't change the direction of your week at the very least. And finally, I would encourage us to engage in conversations that are actually going to take the wheel towards God of our mind. To have conversations that are actually interesting and engaging and dive in deep to the truth and the depths of who God is. I love just uh, this weekend, I popped into a coffee shop to work for a little bit, and my friend John was there talking to his friend Doug, and they're, I, can, I can just tell they're having a deep conversation, and next to them is the book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. You're not having a trivial conversation with that book on the table. This is some deep stuff, and I know these guys, and I know they are having a conversation right now that is actually changing their mind as they invite God into that. And this is why we do small groups. This is why we do small groups around here, so that you can be around a circle of people that can actually begin to help change your mind and elevate your conversations and your thoughts that you have. A lot of different thoughts, a lot of different ideas. That's really for you to determine and decide this week with God. How are you going to take the wheel of your mind, take out out what is taking you away from God, and replace it with the things of God, and to actually engage and unwrap and open and explore the gift of the mind that God has given you? And there's a friend that I have that has done this so well uh, for as long as I've known him. He has 
model to me what it means to engage his mind in loving God. And it literally has, I can tell you from being his friend, it has shaped the direction, the destination of his life. It is a part of how he interacts with God, is with and through his mind. And I wanted you to hear his story tonight, to hear a story of someone who's wrestled with God through his thoughts, through his mind, and how that's actually living his, out in his life every week. So I'm going to invite my friend Doug Scott, who's a part of our community, if Doug would come up. I want you to listen to Doug's story. I want you to listen to what it looks like for someone to really, truly engage their mind. And in just a second when Doug's done, uh, I'm going to come up and we're going to pray together and then we'll wrap up our night after that. So this is my friend Doug. Hey, everybody. Well, I was 19 when the questions came. Does God exist? If he exists, which God is he or she? How does he interact with his creation? What, if anything, does that mean for me? I used to know the answers to these questions. I'd grown up attending church since I could remember. I went to a Christian primary school and a Christian high school. I knew all the main characters in the Bible. I knew the punchline to every story. As a little kid, I had prayed to receive Jesus as my Savior, and I identified myself as a Christian. But that was before my 18th year. When I was 18, three things happened to me that shredded my faith and left me searching for answers. Number one, the Division I basketball scholarship that I dedicated the last six years of my life to never materialized. Coaches wrote letters, they called, they visited my practices and my games, and I played as hard as I could. But at the end of the season, I was without a scholarship, and I was heartbroken that my dream had died. Number two, uh, my father lost a decade-long court battle and was found guilty of a white-collar crime he believed he didn't commit. I prayed so hard and so long that he would be found innocent. But nonetheless, he was sentenced to five years in a federal prison. And number three, I began classes at my local community college. And my philosophy, sociology, world history, and psychology professors dismissed the idea that God existed, let alone had any bearing on an enlightened mind. Their intellectual attacks and blistering critiques of Christianity left me full of doubts and with no foundation to stand on. So when I was 19, I decided to start from square one, put the whole God idea on trial. I needed to seek out the best arguments for and against the existence of God, for and against each religion, for and against faith. No question would be off limits. I read the great philosophers like Aristotle, Augustine, Thomas Aquinas, Nietzsche, Bertrand Russell, Kant, Hume, Kierkegaard, and Lewis. I read the Quran, the Upanishads, the Torah, neo-pagan texts. I studied Islam, Hinduism, Mormonism and Scientology, I researched history, archaeology, and ancient texts. I entertained conspiracy theories, watched History Channel exposés, and studied the Bible itself. I reflected, journaled, and had countless conversations. And I came to discover some important facts based upon the evidence. Number one, fact number one, there are compelling philosophical arguments in favor of God such as the cosmological, teleological, and the ontological arguments. These have been debated, attacked, but in my opinion, never disproved. Fact two, there are 
countless personal testimonies of belief in God in one form or another. Indeed, if we could survey all of human history, close to 98% of humankind has believed in the supernatural. And if I'm honest, I myself have personally experienced things that I can't explain and strike me as miraculous. Fact number three, Yeshua bar Joseph, or Jesus as we know him, was a Jewish man who lived in what we now know as Israel, claimed to be God and was crucified in what we now call the first century because of him. A week later, his once frightened followers metamorphosed into fearless proclaimers of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Ten out of the remaining 11 disciples were killed in horrifically gruesome ways for their belief that Jesus was divine. In fact, for the preponderance of evidence points to belief in God, and I believe to belief in God in the person of Jesus. So there are still a lot of questions that I don't have the answers to, but I'm assured that lots of people much smarter than myself believe in God and in Christianity. Indeed, there are hundreds of Nobel laureates who believe in God just as much as they believe in physics. I also take refuge in the fact that there is a wide range of opinions about a great many topics in Christianity, and that's okay. Uniformity of thought is no prerequisite for faith in God. Lastly, and perhaps most importantly for me, faith doesn't mean absence of doubt. To have faith requires 51% belief versus 49% doubt. And even on a bad day, I can muster up 51%. No single argument convinced me, and the process took years of study, reflection, and conversations. But each philosophical argument, historical observation, and personal testimony has woven together to form a new foundation for my faith that is far stronger than before. God wants our minds and our questions. After all, he created reason, science, and philosophy in the first place, and he's definitely not intimidated by any question you or I could ever think up. Now I'm 34. I still read books. I still ask a lot of questions. But the questions I'm asking aren't whether God exists. Rather, the questions I'm asking are what it means to live a life of authenticity, of following God, separate from political agendas, from popular culture, from uh, Christian cliches. I'm constantly asking God to let me see current events, my job, my marriage, myself from his perspective, put him behind the wheel. The more I engage God with my mind, the more I realize that the answers to my questions aren't always found in objective truth, but in a relationship. And that reality is enough to blow my mind. When I think it's, I've seen it in Doug's life, I've seen it, um, you know, lived out that this is a way that God has actually created you to meditate, to think, to dwell on him, to put behind the wheel the things that are ultimately going to lead you in the direction and destination of God and to see it lived out over Doug's life as long as I've known him and continue to this day. And so what I want to do is pray that, that we would do no less, that we would actually examine and explore and invite God in and expect God to do what only he can do as we commit to doing what only we can do 
with our minds this week. And we're going to pray in a little bit different way, and then we're going to worship, and Jeannie will wrap us up. Now, I've found that lots of times the sort of gateway to my mind comes in three different places. It either comes through what I see, or I let myself see. It comes through what I hear, or I let myself hear. And it comes through the words that I say, or the conversations that I have. And so I want to pray for you right now, and I'm going to ask you to do something that might seem a little weird, like a little, like, you know, see no evil, hear no evil, say no evil, like, I'm going to ask you to actually put your hands on where you really feel like you need to invite God in the most to your mind, whether it's the things you see, or the things that you're letting yourself listen to, or the conversations that you're having. Where does God need, and you need to take the wheel most when it comes to your mind? Is it through the things you see, or the things you're listening to? or the things that you're saying, the conversations that you're having. So you can do that quietly right now, but I would ask that you would take a posture, a position, wherever sort of you're at, and maybe all of them, so you can figure that out. Um, and I just want to pray. I want to actually have you just sit in silence for just a second and take that posture and say, okay, God, where is it that I need to take the wheel this week when it comes to my mind? And to close your eyes and to allow your mind to focus in on the reality of God, even as Doug just talked about him. As we've heard scripture describe who God is, that he desires for us to know him and to know his good and pleasing and perfect will for our lives. God actually created your mind so that you could know him and love him. And God, we know that there are many places in our life where we have given the wheel away or we continue to give the wheel away of our mind through the things we see, the things we listen to, the things we say. God, we ultimately know we want our life to be in relationship, to be headed at least in the direction of you. And that means a lot of different things for every one of us in this room. But God, we wouldn't be here tonight if we didn't desire that at some level. And so, God, I pray that you would do what only you can do as we do what only we can do this week. That we would be attentive, that we would be um, intentional, that we would literally take things out and away, kick them out of the car, and begin to place in our mind, God, to allow into our mind things that are lovely and pure and honorable and admirable that engage our mind, that draw us to you, that use our mind to dwell and meditate on you. God, I pray that you'd even give us those convictions, those next steps, God, that, that movement in our life this week, we pray that you'd give to us now and that we would have the courage to actually do it tomorrow, today. We invite you in, God, because we trust you and we know that you have so much more for our lives than we could ever imagine or drum up on our own. So God, renew our mind, change our mind, and God, help us to fix our mind, our thoughts, our convictions, and our actions on you. In your name.